From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. Um, this is a passage we looked at last week. Uh, we looked at self-talk last week. Looked at, at this, this place where Paul talks about, he, he juxtaposes the physical body with, with the spiritual body. And he makes a statement about the body beginning to talk to itself. And I want to bring us up to speed and, and read this passage and then we'll dive in. He says, the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up only one body. And so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit, and we have all received the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the hand, does that make it any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were just one big ear, how would you smell anything? You see, God made our bodies with many parts, and he's put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing the body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. We took a look at this this first part of what Paul was sharing where the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the hand. And we looked at... And what was, being, what was going on here was that the, 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 the body was talking to itself, and we just asked the question, what does that represent? And, and almost everybody in the room said, self-talk. It's the way we talk to ourselves. And so we took, we, we took a chunk of time to just look at the reality that what Paul's saying to each of us is, you have a God-declared value. And that sense of self-value can't come from how you feel. It has to be rooted in the truth of what God has spoken over you. And so many of us allow our, our, our self-talk to, how many struggle with negative self-talk? You say, I kind of, my internal monologue's not very positive. Be, I'm not going to call you out, I promise we won't pray for you right now. And so uh, last week we just, we, we happened upon an idea which was very simple, just to say, we know it's wrong, but it probably got us to this point. For me, I've driven myself pretty aggressively on the inside. There's a phrase that I use with myself all the time, and the phrase is, be better. I don't use it with anybody else, just me. Just be better. Maybe my son's on the soccer field, but be better. And I realize that what I've done through my life is just driven myself to be better, to do more, and and essentially just kind of had a hate relationship with myself. And this passage is so convicting because the realization is Paul saying, the way we view ourselves matters. Because God's already declared things over us and we have to make a choice. Do I align with what he has said about me or do I align with how I feel about me? And so Paul will move on in this and I want to highlight one area that I didn't get to touch last week which is self-talk is one thing but it maybe maybe leans into a bigger idea which is self-perception. And here's the danger. It's very easy for us To not only talk to ourselves poorly, but begin to look and perceive our life in a poor manner. 
Maybe we don't like the relationship we're in. Maybe we don't, we don't like the job we have. Maybe we don't like where we live or we don't like the, the social group we're in. We don't like our friends. We don't like our spouse. Whatever it is, we just aren't happy with where we're at. And it becomes easy to start turning on ourselves and saying, you know, if I were in this spot or if I was here, it'd be better. And, and the reality is I want to just give us a simple, simple phrase. Bloom, where are you planted? You see, because Paul will say this statement here that's really important. And God has put each part just where he wants it. So say that with me. I am where he wants me. And some of us, when they, we, we want to choke on the words going, oh, it's so dumb. Why do I have to say that? But you see, if I believe, if I trust him, it allows me to step away from my circumstances and say, I trust God to put me where I need to be. He wants me to make a difference where I'm at, and he knows this particular situation is good for me. It will grow me. And because it's not about what I feel, I can take a deep breath and relax and just say, okay, God, I'm not loving this, but I trust you. So Paul will go on in this, and he shifts gears, and it's not just that who I am and where I am that's important, but he says the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. And so we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen, while the other parts do not require this special care. There's a lot in there. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, um, there's no question that for last week it dialed up a lot in us about the way we view ourselves and then Paul shifts gears here and we're asking for you to bring wisdom and revelation so we can see what this passage really means and what it looks like to live it out. We trust you to lead us and guide us and teach us in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul shifts away from saying to us, hey, you have God-declared value and he causes us to want to shift gears and begin to look around us and what he makes is a statement that says, hey, guess what? They have God-declared value. There's a key phrase here that I want to call out. It says not to possess. The key phrase is can never say, and it literally means not to possess the power. The word is dunami in the Greek. Dunami doesn't refer to the strength to do something. Dunami refers to the authority to function in a specific way. This phrase, I don't need you, in the Greek literally means to see no value in or necessity for a person. So Paul's not saying the eye can't say that. The eye, he's not saying the eye doesn't have the ability to say to the hand. Catch that. The eye does have that ability to say to the hand, I don't need you. What Paul is saying is the eye doesn't have the authority to say to the hand, I don't need you. So what that means is no matter how, let's, let's just for a moment say that I'm the I. No matter how I feel about a hand, I am not permitted by my Father to say to that hand, I don't need you. I don't see the value in you. Man, it got quiet in here. You see, Paul's addressing a tendency in us to not only struggle with our own value, but to struggle to see the value in others. And for some of us, that might look like critical judgment. Maybe some of you are like me and you feel like your spiritual gift is a critical one because you're really good at 
Criticizing. How many feel like that was your spiritual gift that God gave you? You've got a really strong critical spirit. And for others, it might just be the, des- just the desire to be alone. It's not that we don't see the value in other people. We just would prefer to not have to play with them. We'd prefer to be able to do what we're going to do on our own. And Paul says, in fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So he begins to break down this very strange picture. And he's talking about the human body. He's talking about the anatomy. He's saying, look, we get it. There's parts of us that we want to, we, we, we feel the need to hide from the rest of the world. And we do that, we're, we're protecting them. And this, this word, these two words, seem and regard, for s- some parts that would seem weakest, the parts we regard as less honorable. It's interesting, these words are rooted in one Greek word, doxeo. This Greek word means mental perspective. So Paul's saying there are some people we have a mental perspective towards, we just don't think they va- they're valuable. We think they're less honorable. So how do we handle that? Paul's not saying, I want us to be clear, Paul's not saying those people lack value. He's saying in our estimation they lack value. There's a couple things that I think Paul's highlighting here. It's it's this very simple way for us to be successful in the body together. Realize this. He's highlighting a mental choice. Can we see that? This word doxeo. He's highlighting, it seems to you that they have no value. You're choosing to regard them as having no value. So the, what's the remedy of that? It's to choose to see value in them. It's to choose to regard them with value, not because we can necessarily see it and connect with it, but because their value's been placed on them from our Father. And so we choose to align in a way that says to the, to the family of God around us, you matter and you have value. Even though I might, by my natural inclination, want to pull away from you and not connect with you, I might, by my natural inclination, not see the need for you in my life because the Father has put you where he wants you and he's put you near me, therefore you have value and I'm going to give you place in my life. It tells me it's the mental choice of dispensing this value that I have to do to be able to be successful in the body of Christ. I have to choose to value people. How do we do that? It's interesting. Paul's analysis is that for there's some parts of the body that seem weakest, so, and, and then what we, we, we estimate it, and then we, we regard them with no honor. And it seems like he's presenting a picture that from a distance, I can assess someone. So what is the remedy? The remedy is to make the decision to no longer live at a distance with people, but to engage in relationship. And it's in this place of relationship that we begin to learn their unique value. We begin to learn their unique gifts. We begin to figure out why God put them alongside of us. And see, that fights us so much in our culture. Because a lot of us don't want to confess the reality is we kind of want to come, show up, have our worship moment and leave and not connect with each other. And Paul's saying, I get it, but you see, the family of God doesn't function that way. It also tells me, how many believe in the opinions you hold? 
One of my regular arguments is that I don't hold, I, I don't argue for a point that I don't fully believe. I like, I, I believe in that opinion. I thought it through. It's, this tells me something about opinions. Because all of this that Paul's talking about is, is an opinion, it's an estimation, it's, it's, a, it's an assumption, it's based from a distance. It tells me that opinions can be dangerous. Because when I begin outside of relationship from a distance to assess someone and develop an opinion about them, what I'm running the risk of is I'm running the risk of missing the gift and the grace that's in them. Because I start to believe they have nothing to offer. Because I believe they have nothing to offer, I make no draw on them and there's no unique imprint into my life the way God intended it to be. And so we move into a place of being isolated and more alone. There's a language thing that's important here that I want to highlight. Paul juxtaposes some positive and negative word phrases. He uses the phrase least important, most necessary, less honorable, greatest care. The negatives, the least important, the less honorable, are pointed at external value and personal opinion. I assume someone is less important. I assume someone is less honorable. They don't draw for me honor. Being around them, they might not be a person that makes me feel warm and fuzzy by being around them. Maybe I don't pretend, I, I don't really enjoy their presence. And, and here's the gross, most sinister thing that Paul's highlighting is sometimes we feel bad about ourselves because of the people around us. And Paul's saying, look, that can't happen. In the kingdom of God, God has placed those that would come into your household, come into your family, in the family of God. God put them there. And so what I need you to do is decide ahead of time they matter. Amen. And suspend the tendency to have an opinion about who they are. Because the positive language here is rooted in personal choice. And it tells me that in my humanity, in my, it's just in the core broken person, I'm going to tend to align to the negative side of things. I'm going to be judgmental. I'm going to criticize but in Jesus, we're invited to make a choice to give honor, to create value. Now, Paul will use a term special care that I want to highlight. If, you, if we study early Greek literature, there's a lot of allegorical language with this that, that, it, that is all into this body type thing where it's hands and mouth and, and, and uh, there's a writer who will, when he, he's having a very negative conversation about uh, the Roman culture around him, and he's, he's referring to people that are poor and, and people that are in a difficult position in life, he's referring to them as the hands and the feet of the culture. He's referring to the hierarchical culture, the, the, the senators and, and all the praetorian, all, the, all these, these upper level people, he's referring to them as the, ha- as the mouth and the stomach and the, and the head. And so there was this very judgmental thing happening, and we don't know if that's what Paul's doing here. What we do know is whether it's about economic status or societal status, we know that what Paul's zeroing in on for us that's important is the way we treat and handle each other. Paul's clearly saying you should live with your heart, with a hard understanding that everybody's on an equal playing field. Everybody matters in the kingdom. There's people we feel naturally drawn to and there's people we don't. You see, the kingdom response is I move to you and dispense honor because dad told me to. 
dad told me you matter and I'm not arguing with him. And in this way, it helps me get outside of how I feel. I would, I would love to give to us this simple truth. My feelings are not my master. Jesus is. And if Jesus says, I want you to love people, honor them, make room for them at the table, whether you like them or not, doesn't matter. All of a sudden, I get to, I get to step away from how I feel. And see, for Paul, the crux of the issue is what choice will you make in this moment? How are you going to treat those people around you? You know the ones, the irritating ones. The ones that aren't fun and easy to be around, yet they're part of the family of God. How often can it be said that we have, there's irritating people around us that they're just not easy to be around, they're not fun to be around, they're not glamorous to be around, and we tend to shun them in such a way that they end up coming to the conclusion, I don't belong here, when the reality is their king says you do. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. He says, so God's put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts with less dignity. And this makes harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other equally. What do we think care for each other equally means? Super not a hard question. What do we think care for each other equally means? No favorites. We treat each other as equal. It means that I can walk around this room and say to each and every person, you matter to me, you matter to me, you matter to me. It means that I will, as a man before God, make the decision to live in a way towards the family of God around me in a way that they understand they matter to me. It means that I will not disregard anybody because isn't that the truth about who we are? Don't we tend as a people to regard ourselves and disregard others? And yet Jesus, what does it say of him? That the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life away as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus models this very clear inversion to regard others even to the point of disregarding self. And so learning to value every part of the body means I just live with a simple truth. That God's placed me in this house, in this family, to love and serve the family of God around me. Our teaching team conversation, one of the statements that I liked was, man, that's a, that's a burden. That's a tough one. I got to serve everybody? Some of us are like, I'm tapping out. I just fail. I'm gone. I'm not doing it. I don't think it has anything to do with I have to serve everybody. It has to do with an attitude that says, I understand that I'm here and I'm willing to be useful to the family around me. I'm willing to give honor to the family around me. I am going to make sure to dispense honor on them and let no one around me feel like they don't belong. Does that make sense? See, the issues with our attitude, that's what Paul's getting at here. You've been placed in the body of Christ, therefore, honor each other. Look around the room and say, you were placed here just like me, you matter. There's room for you at the table. I'll draw out of you the gifts and the grace of God and, and build relationship with you because the Father put you here. I want to take bread and cup this morning. And maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I really probably need some help with this one. I need some, somebody to pray with me on this one. We have 
We have family members that will be back in the corner with lanyards on, and they're there to just pray with you if, if that's what you need. It's our privilege to do that. I think bread and cup is an amazing time. It's a reminder all the time, the body and the blood of Jesus. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, so I take the bread and I remember. Lord, you disregarded yourself to regard me. You gave your life for me. Are there people in my life that I need to start regarding more correctly? Are there places where I've lived in disregard towards others? The blood reminds us that it's as simple as saying, Lord, I've been wrong. Will you forgive me? And that blood reminds us that the covenant's not on us. It's on him. But this morning, I want to take bread and cup, whether it's with friendship groups or family units or alone, and just spend a few moments just allowing the Lord to search our hearts on this issue. Are we living in a way that gives honor to the people around us? Are we living in a way that values and treats everyone equal? Let's stand this morning. Lord, as we step into this moment where we take bread and cup and, and, we, and we align with what you said to do this in remembrance of you, Jesus, would you come into this space? And Lord, every place of darkness that's in us, we sang about it earlier that you make the darkness tremble. Every place of darkness in us that's not been dealt with by your love, would you draw it to the surface? Draw it out of us. Lord, we want to give it to you. We want to be people that honor you and love you and live the way you've called us to live towards each other. So, Holy Spirit, be with us as we take the bread and the cup. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.